0: Hello, everyone. I'm Laurel Simmons, a co-founder of The Right Club, and I'm here with Catherine nelson Riley, our operations manager, and we're here with Martin May on another episode of The Right Club podcast. Hi, Catherine. Hey, Laurel. This has been such an exciting episode today, and actually two episodes. There was so much information that Martin provided on his story that we've got two episodes for Martin, which is awesome. Yes. So listen through episode one and then don't forget to listen to episode two because Martin talks about his story, how he started out in Montreal, went into the east coast of Canada, and now is in Las Vegas doing really fun things with self-storage. So it's an amazing story. He gives lots of information. Uh, But just before we go to the uh, interview, uh, we'd like to say, Hey, don't forget to go to our website, therightclub.com. Join us. It's free. Lots and lots of resources there for you to listen to, watch, and read. And we really hope that you take advantage of it because there's so much knowledge there. Anyway, Catherine, let's go. Welcome to the Right Club podcast, where the focus is on helping you, the real estate investor, advance to the next level. And now, let's join this week's hosts and share ways for you to customize your life. Hi, Martin. Welcome to another Right Club podcast. Great to see you and talk to you here.
1: Absolutely, hey! Great to see the both of you as well. Thank you so much for having me. Here.
0: Okay, Mart. You got a pretty fascinating story. So tell us, how did you get started in real estate investing? What did you start with?
1: Yeah, so it goes all the way back to 2019. That's really what my my first property. I was working full-time out of time, had a career in marketing, working in Montreal, and I was essentially looking to buy a property with my mom. My mom and I were both immigrants to this beautiful country. And I had just finished university and had started doing my marketing career. So we were actually very serious about, you know, putting an offer on a a couple condos, you know, wanted to have a two bedroom, very much living above our means. We could barely make the mortgage payment of the type of property that we wanted to buy. And then I was sharing that with one of my colleagues. He happened to be a real estate investor at the time. So he recommended me to read the book as you can probably imagine, it's rich dad, poor dad. And he told me the differences between, you know, hey, like you should probably consider getting an income property so you can get the tenants to pay for your mortgage. So that's very much, you know, what opened up my eyes. And I literally told my realtor the next day, I'll say, hey, as soon as I finish the book, I told my realtor, uh, let's stop looking for condos. Let's look for a little investment property. So we absolutely just changed the direction of 180, ended up. Closing on this deal, it's a duplex, a little rundown. It was such an interesting experience because we were supposed to buy this like pre-construction condo that was, you know, barely that that that, that will very much like stretched as very thin. But instead, we opted into this really rundown duplex that's cheaper than the brand new condo. So it was a very interesting experience. My realtor didn't think I could handle it; she actually very much advised against it. Uh, but we ended up buying this duplex. That's where. We rented out room per room to different tenants. Me and my mom, we had, you know, our own separate rooms, but we were able to cover all of the debt service, all of the operating expenses. And that's where I learned about renovations. That's where I learned about managing tenants. and live with tenants. So that was my first exposure to real estate investing.
0: And then from there, I mean, you didn't stop there. <laughs> you got the bug.
1: That's right. No, from there, um, it was interesting. You in order to maximize it, right, that's where I converted the two living rooms in the duplex into additional bedrooms just so I can get some additional money. Um, and from that experience, I realized, first of all, sure, living with tenants, you know, it's a great form of house hacking, but I was continuously looking for ways to have a bit of separation, to have some privacy. So I realized, okay, so of buying a duplex. If we have more units under one roof, I could potentially live in one unit and all oh, the other units are going to cover the rent, So I don't have to, you know, share a unit with the tenants anymore. So that was what forcing me to start looking for bigger units. But at the same time, I was dealing with, you know, a really crappy tenants at a time, trying to get him to move out. And Because we're in Quebec, the tendency laws weren't the most friendly for the investors. So as soon as I came across the New Brunswick market, um, I realized that the laws were completely different. This was back in 2019, 2020, and I realized the Tennessee laws were, they really make a huge difference. I also came across the New Brunswick market. It, it really captivated my interest because of the price per door that you see there. Uh, so at the time, you know, my Montreal duplex, it costs about 570,000. For each unit, I could get about thousand two, a 1,003 for rent. Um, now you could get the same amount of rent for properties in New Brunswick, but the duplex I was looking at or the fourplex I was looking at, they're running at about 50000 per door. So the cash flow potential is just so much better compared to what I could get in Montreal. So that's when the wheels started turning. And I realized, huh, what am I doing paying properties in, in Montreal? I can very much, you know, go out of the province, get way better cash flow, get way better return on my money. So that's when, the, you know, New Brunswick really caught my eye.
0: So you're in New Brunswick. And you did, how many years, because you're out of New Brunswick right now, how many years did you buy properties in New Brunswick?
1: Yeah, so what was fascinating was we, you know, when I said we, it's me and my wife, we were putting offers left and right, right? And we realized we weren't the only ones uh, that saw the potential there. Our realtor was telling us, you know, we, we made the offer on this little triplex, um, I believe it was around 180,000 for this triplex in downtown Moncton right next to the schools. A realtor was telling us, hey, there's 16 other offers (laughs) and they were mostly coming from Ontario and Quebec. And we were like, what the heck, what is happening? You know, we thought this was like, you know, just the middle of nowhere in Canada and nobody would even know about Moncton. But it turns out, you know, the real estate market was really on the rise and there was a lot of interest coming from out of province buyers. So what we started to realize was, first of all, we needed to find a way to differentiate. We need to be able to compete with them, not on the price. We need to find a creative way to find opportunities ourselves. So guys, that's actually when I started seriously consider, consume a lot of content, you know, from The Right Club, from, you know, podcasts like Austin Yeah and Mayus, um, just podcasts, any podcast I could get my hands on both in Canada and the U.S. In the U.S., I love pockets. I loved, you know, all of these real estate investing podcasts. And we started looking for ways to get properties ourselves. So that's where I learned about the concept of wholesaling, about getting to distressed property owners and how to structure a deal uh, when it comes to uh, finding these off-market opportunities. So that's what, I will say that's what really uh, got me to catch the bug, more so than the Montreal property. So this is when I started to treat this as a business. And I realized that, hey, there's something here. There's so many people that are interested in New Brunswick. They're not willing to move here, but they are putting offers left and right. And if we cannot get this little triplex, I'm sure all of these investors are having the same experience. So let's set up a way to find off-market deals so we can match these deals with qualified buyers that are interested in the market. And for the deals that we really like, that we really value, we can hold on to them ourselves. So we ended up staying there for over two years, build an entire ecosystem of off-market pipeline. And we essentially you know, kept properties for ourselves, we kept properties for our partners, we wholesale a bunch, for the properties that were too small, we we'll simply flip them. For the properties that, you know, that, that fit our buy box, we held on to them as our portfolio.
0: And that's like, you know, that's a huge deal. I mean, that's a, a lot of work and you were really successful. But I know that you are talking to us from Las Vegas, Nevada right now. So there's a, quite a difference between New Brunswick, Moncton, New Brunswick and Las Vegas, Nevada in so many ways. You, I mean, I couldn't even count them all, right? What are you doing in Las Vegas? Are you looking to create generational wealth and get one step closer to financial freedom? Then Better Mortgage Select is the mortgage brokerage for you. Whether you're a first time homebuyer or seasoned investor looking to grow your portfolio, Better Mortgage Select is here to help you achieve your financial goals. With over two decades of experience, our team of financial planning consultants have perfected our own unique system that tailors every step to suit your financial needs. For a free consultation, reach out to us today at info at bettermortgageselect.ca or give us a call at 905-569-8326. We're here to help you get started and prove why we're the top-ranked mortgage team in Canada.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. Great question. We were, so, so I'll say from 2019 to 2022, our thinking was we have to be where the deals are. We wanted to be boots on the ground. We wanted to be, you know, the most hardworking couple there was. And we wanted to be known as, hey, we're the new Brunswick couple and we're the ones that are getting deals done, right? So that was the image that we had. But the more we grew, the more, you know, we set up our systems, we leveraged strategic partnerships and we realized we want to be where the money is. We want to be where the center of the ideas are, and uh, we could always leverage other people boots on the ground. If we're you know making these strategies a partnership, we don't have to do the work ourselves. We can very much leverage you know other hardworking people uh, that are in the space, right? So that's a huge mindset shift that we had. So instead of being you know w- w- where the deals are, which is New Brunswick, we were looking at you know other opportunities, other asset types. But essentially, long story short, the store in Vegas is that, you know, this is where everyone comes to Vegas for different reasons, right? They will come for the casinos, they will come for the trade shows. And if you look at, you know, flights coming in out of Vegas, if you're in Toronto versus if you're trying to fly from Toronto to to Montreal, you'd be pleasantly surprised that your flights would be cheaper going to Vegas (laughs) because uh, the hotels and the casinos, they really try to subsidize it and they're trying to get more people to come, right? So I love how it's a melting pot of culture. It's a melting pot of different ideas and trade shows. So many entrepreneurs, so many people would leave California or New York and they would come all the way to Nevada because the state has very investor-friendly, very entrepreneur-friendly legislation, such as zero income tax on the state level for corporations and individuals. So that's why I moved down to Vegas, but also a huge reason is we decided to pivot away from doing just multifamily into focusing on self-storage as a real estate asset. Tech. And I'll get I'll get into that a little bit deeper. So
0: yeah, I mean it's quite a difference between multi buying multi-uh family units and managing them to getting into the self-storage industry. But there's many ways to get well, many ways. There's at least two ways to get into self-storage that I know of. And I guess the main two are either buy an existing self storage complex or you build one right you develop your own so but before we get into that can you explain why self storage like what attracted you because there there are a lot of benefits i know i mean you were on the on a right club virtual event the other day and that's why we have we're having you here because it was really cool to listen to all these benefits so explain
1: absolutely no thank you for the opportunity so what we saw, um, the more we scaled, we, we essentially acquired a portfolio of these multifamily units. We even tried to manage them ourselves. We set up a corporation as a property management company. and We actually shut that down after two months <laughs> because we realized, um, you know, it's not a space to want to get into. So we are working with, you know, some of the top com- uh, companies in, in, in New Brunswick. In St. John, we're working with Ava. In St. John, we're working with Canada Holds for Rent. And in and in in Moncton, we're working with Ground Floor and Tony LeBlanc. So we are leveraging these local property managers to help us with property management. But what we started to realize is even these property managers, the more you scaled, the more human tenants we're going to have to deal with, and the more unpredictable things become. As much as you can screen them, there are things that will just happen unexpectedly. For example, we had a tenant that accidentally set the kitchen on fire. It was a grease fire situation and he didn't know what to do when a pot is on fire. To be honest, I wouldn't know what to eat either. <laughs> so he poured water on it it destroyed the cabinets and also our stove. He threw also the pot, you know, tried to throw the pot into the sink, but he just, you know, dropped it halfway and destroyed the floors as well. And we had just finished renovating that kitchen about two months ago. So he literally moved in, destroyed the kitchen, never paid us back, and he moved out. <laughs> so, uh, and... We we also experienced, you know, the police raided one of our units as well, because the tenant's friend that was here happened to be involved with, with drugs in, in New Brunswick. He was apparently a dealer. So all of these were things that were just way out of our control, and there's no way that we can predict that. So we realized that the more we scale in multifamily, the more of these, you know, crappy situations we're going to have to deal with. And the fact that we have other investors involved, it almost felt like we we're doing a disservice to our investors because we we're getting them to invest in this great asset type that's multifamily or real estate. We were hoping to bank on the passive returns, but none of it was passive. And if anything, it was more stressful than ever. So we were you know, sharing that with a couple other investors who are a little older, who are a little more experienced. We were at this event in Florida. 3 or 5. We, we go to a lot of masterminds. We really educate ourselves. And trying to surround us with people who are way more successful than us, right? So we find ourselves in rooms with people who are a lot older than us and who are, who have a lot more zero student net worth. So we were talking to this group of Americans and they were sharing with us, you know, they've been doing multifamily for the past, you know, 20, 30 years. One of them was also a business owner. He had 12 Subway franchises, the restaurant and all of them, you know, they're looking to pass on their legacy to their kids, right? They're at the stage of their lives. They're having conversation with their kids and their kids are saying, Hey dad, thank you. But there's no way I'm going to be a a landlord of 2000 tenants. That sounds so stressful. I don't believe in this business. You know, I don't think, you know, I want to inherit this. Thank you so much. (laughs) But no. So that event, was where I first learned about self-storage investing because most of them, they were considering an exit on a multifamily. They're looking to 1031 exchange their proceeds from multifamily portfolio into self-storage facilities. And the benefits, you know, they were starting to describe to me. They were saying that, hey, you have way better scale when it comes to self-storage for the same amount of uh, money. You could buy, let's say, a duplex or a fourplex or you can buy a 50 or 70 unit self-storage facility. And all of these tenants, nobody's living there, Where at least they're not supposed to live there, right? Uh, nobody's living there, nobody's living in the units. Um, you're just renting out air, right? You're renting out square footage to people's belongings. So the worst that can happen, that when it comes to an emergency, when it comes to housing, you're dealing with people's life or death, right? You're dealing with single moms and their kids, and you know, you're raising rents on them, so they're freaking out. But an emergency in the self-storage facility is what? A fire, a flood. But again, there's no life or death situation. It's a commercial property. It's also better built. It's going to last longer. You're dealing with sheet meadows and concrete instead of drywall and flooring. So, you know, my my wheels started turning. A lot of, you know, these talking points and the benefits that they started to share really resonated with. And realized that this is, the asset type that it seems like these investors were older, they're ultimately getting into. So it's, you know, we wanted to make sure it's not a shiny object system syndrome. So we started doing a lot of research on this asset type, right? We didn't just want to come off as the young investors are trying to shift lanes every year. So we did a lot of research about this. We tried to do this in Eastern Canada. And what we found, guys, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So Eastern Canada, we looked up every single self-storage facility that's in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. We looked up the Google reviews they had. We looked up, do they have a website? What kind of online presence they had? What were some of the advantages or the strengths and the weaknesses they had? We also looked at the ownership profile, right? So we found out in the East Coast, in Eastern Canada, 70% or around 80% of all of these facilities are already owned by institutions. So these are your nationwide operators, such as U-Haul or Apple Self Storage, which is the biggest self-storage facility operator in the East Coast. Um, So that means there's very little meat on the bone. They're likely running at the high efficiency. They're doing this as a real business. About 20%, so a very small chunk of the inventory are controlled by mom and pop, such as you and me, right? And those facilities are really at the bottom of the quality level. So we're talking like D-class, C-class facilities. They're not even considered storage facilities. So we tried to send these owners a letter just to see if there's any interest in selling. Uh, we did that for you know New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. But as soon as we started consuming some self-storage podcasts and also started doing research of our own, on the US side, the, the, the ownership structure is actually completely flipped. So most of the facilities down in the US are controlled by mom and pop operators. These massive nationwide operators, REITs, Real Estate Investment Trusts, and these private equity family offices, these institutional investors, they control only less than 30% of the entire market combined. So there's a drastic difference between Canada and the U.S. In the U.S. it's still extremely fragmented. We have 10 times the population and we have essentially the, the American culture they love to consume, right? Especially in the Sunbelt states, They don't even have basements. The houses are built without basement, without attics. Um, So Americans, they need self-storage. Most people live in the HOA and they can't just build a shed in the backyard that easily. So we realized if you really want to do this self-storage business, Canada, it's a very mature market already. It's very consolidated. It's very institutionalized. It'll be very hard to break into. But if you want to break into doing self-storage and acquire a whole portfolio, we're gonna have to come down to the U.S. It's simply just a better business decision.
0: Okay, so you decided that you'd go into the U.S. Now the U.S. is big. Obviously, you looked at many states. I'm I'm assuming and and uh, decided on Nevada simply because as you talked about earlier, very, you know the, the tax laws and it's very business friendly, entrepreneurial friendly. You're there now, and what are you doing? Like, why did you decide on the Las Vegas itself? Because that's where you're building, isn't it? And, and actually, I'd like you to talk about why Las Vegas and also why the decision to to build rather than buy an existing complex.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So recently we chose Vegas, it was very much by chance. We found ourselves having to go to Vegas multiple times when we were in Moncton, New Brunswick. We essentially saw that, you know, ended up going to a storage event, ended up going to a multifamily event, and all of these were, were hosting in Vegas, you know, they're massive conferences, right? They were either going to do Orlando or Vegas. So, you know, besides the flights being cheaper, as I shared earlier, besides, you know, the tax reasons, we also saw that, you know, this is where, this is the spot. This is where people come to. We found out that, you know, this city has the highest concentration of family offices of these institutional investors. And that's this is where people want to host events. This is where people want to invest, head networks individuals to come to events. So we wanted to be surrounded by people of this caliber. And we wanted to be in the city where we can easily get access to influential people, right? And also just you know, moving from moncton to to Vegas, it it was a nice little upgrade. <laughs> day nights got a lot more fun. There's so much more to do <laughs> as can you can imagine. And when it comes to doing projects, we are actually not doing projects at all in Nevada just yet. We're looking for opportunities, but in Nevada, the land cost is really high and it's not necessarily uh, the, the best market because there's, so, there's been so much competition. There's been so much uh, new development that's been happening in, in Vegas and the rest of Nevada. So we're looking, they're actually mostly in the Sun State. So We're talking Texas, we're talking Arizona, talking Florida, all of these states we're also starting to look in the Midwest as well. So we were looking at a deal in four-way Indiana. So, you know, the the Sunbelt states, it presents a massive opportunity because as you guys all know, that's where the majority of, you know, Canadians and Americans are moving to because they realize they can work anywhere. So Florida and Texas, you know, they top the list for the highest growing states in the country. Whereas places like California and New York, they're losing the population, right? So they're, they, they they rank as the bottom for for having any population growth because everyone is leaving. So we see massive opportunities in secondary and tertiary markets in places like Texas and Florida. So that's why we have a project in El Paso, Texas right now. You know, it's uh, four acres. the The reason we are doing development instead of doing a value add was over the past couple of years, everyone and their grandparents are starting to become real estate investors. You know, because the interest rate. People are sitting on a lot of money and they needed to find a way to spend it. They were working remotely and they, you know, truthfully, a lot of them probably got bored. So they started looking into real estate investing, they started investing different asset types. So if you ask any self-storage operator or a self-storage broker, they're gonna tell you, there's been a flood, the floodgate has opened, right? There's been so many people that are flooding into uh, this asset type. So over the past few years, it's been extremely competitive, right? All of these investors and interest, it really drove the cap rate to be at the lowest point and occupancy level have also never been this this high over the past few years. So it's a very interesting time. Uh, People are also saying, you know, self-storage bubble is about to burst because, you know, this is not normal. This is not sustainable, right? So over the past year, over the past 12 months, you see nationwide, the rental rates are starting to drop, but they're just getting back to normal levels, right? So people always say self-storage industry was great. Now it's good. So the whole reason we decided to get into uh, development versus value add is we didn't want to be caught in a frenzy. We didn't want to compete with so many other buyers when it comes to value add opportunities because everyone was looking at them. The new investors, the experienced investors, the institutional investors looking to consolidate. So these asset types were trading at a, a unprecedented value compared to you know, what's considered a fair value. So we're trying to find the best way to tap into this market. We decided to partner up with a development consultant that develops properties for REITs for the past 25 years. So their team will usually look for vacant parcels and they will build facilities that are suitable for class A development. So they look at demographics data, they look at, you know, the market data, they look at saturation levels, and they make sure that, you know, this is a sustainable project, not just in the short term, but over the next five to 10 years, right? And there's obviously way fewer people that are looking for vacant lots compared to people that are looking for self storage facilities. So right off the bat, we saw a drop in competition, right? When we're putting offers on land, there's not as many competition and not as much competition that's happening. When we're working with land as well, the sellers are more likely to work with us on the terms, right? So either seller financing will work with us on a longer timeline because they have truthfully no other options. So it's a lot easier for us to negotiate. But even just as a product, uh, when you're building from the ground up, banks, institutions, they need to see what type of team you have. They need to see all the due diligence that you have done, right? So it's very hard to overpay for a property when you're doing a development because banks are just not going to lend you money. If this is a bad project, they're going to see, okay, where's your feasibility study? Where is your site plan? Where's your entitlement? And you have to work with the city as well. The city has to give their stamps of approval and you work with your consultants, you work with multiple different trades, right? To bring this project into a reality. At any given point, if... Any of them says, no, this project cannot proceed, right? When it comes to value add, you can easily overpay. (laughs) You can easily find a lender or find an investor that's going to give you a down payment that you need to to overpay for a property, but not so much for development. For development, everything has to be done to the T and you have to know what you're doing because that's how you can get the financing for it. So I find that to be actually a really good way to protect myself um, and protect all of my investors that are involved. Um, as a product, when you're building brand new, you are required to do, usually required to do a feasibility study, right? Banks require that. And the consultant of the feasibility study is going to study the market, know exactly what the market needs. Maybe the market needs more temperature-controlled five-by-fives instead of outdoor drive-up 20-by-20s, right? So you're able to create a product that has the best product market fit. So you're able to create a facility that suits the needs, the exact needs of this market. Compared to if you buy a value add, you simply cannot do that. Because if you buy a value add, you know, that property was probably built over the last 10, 20, even 30 years. It was built according to the demand that much longer ago, right? So there are so many different advantages when it comes to, you know, doing a ground up. Part of our grand exit strategy is our end buyer, right? We're not looking to sell from Martin to Catherine. We're looking to sell from Martin to a company like Public Storage. So we want to sell our portfolio to REITs as the ultimate institutional exit strategy. So we need to know exactly what they're looking for. And these REITs are, you know, their first choice is a temperature controlled A-class facility. So we wanted to get directly to that so that we can build a whole portfolio of these and have a huge exit uh, by, by selling it to these retail looking for a market consolidation.
0: All right. So Martin, what's the best place for people to reach you?
1: Yep. So if they, you know, go on Instagram, they can look up Martin Storage. <laughs> they will find me. I'm on there as It's Martin May. But if you just look up Martin Storage, my name is going to pop up. You can always find me on Facebook, any of the social media platforms, obviously. Our group is operated under Meili Investment Group. Uh, but as I said, the best way is to just look at my personal name and I'll be happy to answer any questions that you have, like wholesaling, New Brunswick, self-storage, always out here trying to add value to anyone that's reached out. So,
0: Okay, great. And we also have your contact information in our show notes. So anybody's listening, you want to go on and, and look at the show notes, that information is there. Okay. Thank you so very much, Martin. This was great. So much information.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun feeling this.
0: Wow, Laurel, that was quite the episode and the information that Martin brought with us. It's definitely one of those episodes where, you, where I know I'll be going back to listen to several times with so much information and he's sharing his strategies with us. And I'm so glad that we also have a part two so we could, we've been able to continue the education. Absolutely. So yes, Catherine, it was great. There's so much information there. And again, please, Listen to part two because he gives even more information. So until next time, what do we say? Come grow with us and customize your life.